You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. We have been journeying through Paul's letter called 1 Corinthians. If you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth. And I've been encouraged as we go through 1 Corinthians to discover that we at the Gate Church have so much in common, actually, with the Corinthian Christians, more than we would imagine, although some of it's not necessarily encouraging, but it has been helpful for us to learn from Paul's words to them. Amen? It's been good so far. We spent a a few weeks uh, previously learning about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which are the things that the Holy Spirit gives to each of us. And uh, last Sunday, Pastor Brad was um, sharing the, the very important portion of chapter 12, which describes that we are all different, but our differences are not a danger. They actually work together, different parts of the same body. We complement one another as God unites us for his purposes, for his glory. And I wanted to read the last verse of chapter 12 because it's just a very good bridge between what we have been learning about and what we will be learning about. Uh, Verse 31 says, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. Now, do you remember last week, uh, Pastor Brad highlighted where, where Paul says the greater gifts, the greater gifts could be understood as the, the more advantageous gifts. So the greater gifts are not the ones that we necessarily think of being great because we like them, although sometimes that's how it works out. But the greater gifts are the ones which God wants to give us to use in the body, to advance his kingdom, to accomplish his will, and so on. And so that was challenging and interesting for me as I received that last week. And then, and then again, uh, from the verse 31, Paul says, but I will show you an even better way. I'll show you an even better way. Paul, you have my attention. What is it? 1 Corinthians 13 I'm going to read and teach through the whole chapter this morning. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, So I can move mountains, but I don't have love. I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. 
It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now in the first three verses of this chapter, Paul is basically saying, the gifts of the Spirit, which I've just described to you, you want them, that's great. You can have them. But if you are not motivated by love, you can, you can have tongues, prophecy, spiritual knowledge, incredible faith. You can even be a martyr. Give your body over, as he says. But that will all amount to nothing if you don't have love. The truth is, it doesn't matter how amazing our spiritual performance is, because that is not the measure of success in God's kingdom ultimately. Love is the measure. Love is the standard. And Paul anticipates our next question And so he explains exactly for us what love is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for this description of love. As English speakers, we are so limited in our ability to accurately verbalize what we think the meaning of love is. And it doesn't help that we live in a culture that makes it difficult and refuses to define love for us, but makes it relative and based upon experience or feelings. So we give thanks for the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if, if you are married, there's a pretty good chance that you have heard this passage at least once in your life, even if you've been to a wedding, because this passage is, is almost always read at marriage ceremonies. I think it was read in mine, at mine, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> But I read it at the weddings that I lead because it is a wonderful standard for couples to have as they're making the promise of their unending love to each other. It's good and beautiful. It's a foundation for a happy marriage. And so some of us, as we think back to our, our, our wedding days, we have heard this passage on the best day of our life, the day of our marriage. But I can't help but ask, how do we receive this passage, not when we are at our most wonderful, on the best day of our life, so to speak, but how do we receive it when we are at our worst? 
how does this passage sound? Not at the wedding celebration, but in the midst of marital conflict or a disagreement between you and a family member or friend or when that person you find really annoying is being really annoying. What then? What does love look like then? And I bring this up, I think it's good for us to ask because taken in context, we know that Paul didn't write these words to a happy couple on their wedding day. This passage, as, as beautiful as it is, is part of a long letter written to a diverse community of people who are struggling with problems, with pride, with division, and so on. So I imagine that the Corinthians, they may have appreciated the beauty of Paul's descriptions of love because it truly is beautiful. But as they read, they also may have had a sinking feeling, the feeling that we get when we hear how things should be and compare them to how they are, and there's a difference. I think we can relate. I know I can. I've had this experience some, sometime through last year. I was having a bad day. Have you ever had one? Just me. Well, let me describe it to you. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was depressed, self-pitying. But I was in prayer, which was good. And, and the Lord said to me, um, son, sit down. <laughs> uh, read 1 Corinthians 13. And so I actually did. I didn't just think it. I, I got my Bible out and I read it. And I read it again. Let me tell you, as I read it, it was like sandpaper on my soul. It hurt to read this description of love. It rubbed me the wrong way. It was painful. I think it physically hurt me to read the perfect description of what God's love looked like because obviously on that day that I was having, I think I could check every one of the boxes that Paul describes as the opposite of how I felt and behaved. Love is patient. Ouch. Love is kind. Ouch. It doesn't envy, boast. It's not arrogant, rude, or self-seeking. It doesn't keep a list of wrongs and so on. Ouch. It is not irritable. Ouch. This is like sandpaper on the prideful soul. And I think it might have felt that way a little bit to the Corinthians as well, knowing the, deal, the, the, the issues that they were dealing with. So when we receive a passage like this in a time like that, how do we respond to the conviction that it offers, to the discomfort or pain that we experience upon reading it? One option when we feel that discomfort is to resign to our brokenness, to our own halfway versions of love instead of rising up to God's love. We can take that honest look at ourselves. We can take an honest look at the world and say, well, Paul, 
That's never going to happen. It's not happening now. And it's, I, I don't see, it's impractical. It's unrealistic. I can't do it. On a good day, I might display a couple of those qualities. But on a bad day, I, I don't think I can even check one. So maybe God's love is an ideal or it's a moral obligation that we're under but it's not realistic for human beings to love like that. We can't. And this is a somewhat reasonable and popular response to the, to the standard of perfect love. But the gospel shows us, yes, we are imperfect in our human love. However, God actually promises to supply us with the supernatural capacity to love as we follow Jesus in this life. So God's love is not an unattainable dream. It's not imaginary or, or just um, somewhere out in the universe. But it is the most important command which God is faithful to see us grow towards day by day as we walk with him. There are so many scriptures which speak to this. I'm mostly going to read just uh, this one. It's a little bit longer. But listen to the description from 1 John 4, which says this. Dear friends, let us love one another. There's the command. Because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. We live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. God commands us to love, but he provides the means by which we can love. You and I are certainly not capable to perfectly love as, as Paul tells us to. But God sent his son to first embody love as he lived and walked, and next to offer it to us. It says that God's love will be revealed in us because of Jesus, not because of us, because of Jesus and our obedience to him. So while we are 
continuously faced with our own imperfections and shortcomings, some days more than others. The Holy Spirit is present to empower us with the means of giving and receiving this holy love. And by following after Jesus, we are led into more of his love and to, to uh, the degree that our perspective will change from apathy or hopelessness or nihilism or any of those other options to being full of hope, full of faith, and truly full of love as we follow after Jesus. Because, by the way, the only person who has ever perfectly uh, walked in each one of the descriptions of Paul's list of love is Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He's not boastful or arrogant. He's not rude. He is not self-seeking. He's not irritable. And he does not keep a record of wrongs. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. So in this sense, we see how 1 Corinthians 13 is really more about Jesus than it is about us. We are not perfect in how we love, but we serve a God who is and who allows us to experience and share in his perfect love even while we struggle today, whatever those struggles may be. Now here comes the part with the guitar. Um, this is an analogy from N.T. Wright, the writer, and I found it especially helpful, not just because it gives me an opportunity to put on the guitar while I speak. I feel so much more comfortable now. Um, but because of what it describes where we are at today. Um, N.T. Wright says that the love of God is like music. And already that's enough for me. I'm like, amen, this is good. This is a good description of God's love. And so music, normal music, is based on uh, scales, right? Where you string the notes together and they create what we consider music. A single note is not really music yet. And that first note, we can say, according to the gospel, is Jesus. He was there at the beginning. He was at creation. He's the foundation of all things. He's the first note. And then there's other notes in the scale. A major scale has eight notes. So the first and the last note are the same. In this case, they're both a G. La, la, la. I thought about singing this for you guys, but I was not as confident in my own voice as I was in the instrument. So anyways, Jesus is the root note. And then there's the other notes, which are the, the fall of humanity. The redemption of humanity through Jesus. But we are currently on the seventh note. We're on the seventh note. The scale isn't finished yet. Because Jesus has promised 
to finish the scale, to complete the story, and to restore all things. That's the end of the gospel, is the restoration of all things. But right now, we live in this tension. It's not resolved, it's not complete yet, and we feel it. Amen? We long for the eighth note, for that, because that feels right. But we're not there yet. Whether you're Christian or not, you understand and and know that feeling, that something is yet to be done, to be returned to uh, Eden, as it were, or in the case of the book of Revelation, uh, New Jerusalem, the perfect and complete world where Jesus will remain and all other things will pass away. And to this, uh, N.T. Wright says, the music of love, which will one day be completed, is therefore not just our duty, it is our destiny. It's not just our duty, that is our destiny. It's where we're going. So the holy love of 1 Corinthians 13, again, it's not a moral obligation which is bound to frustrate us as we fail to fulfill it time and time again. But it is the power which is leading us forward to God. This is called a telos, a telos or or, or a goal. It's the aim. It's where Christians are headed. It's what we orient ourselves towards. It's our North Star. Jesus is the telos. His love will be the fulfillment of our hope and of our faith. It's the end of our story, the destiny of creation through Christ. In the book of Revelation, which is describing these things, the destiny and completion of of the story, um, Chapter 1, 17 to 18, tells it like this. The speaker says, When I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So you see how Jesus is the first note and the last note of this scale, which are one and the same. He was the creator, and he came into creation for a time to show us love, to redeem us through his sacrifice. But meanwhile, we wait for that vision, that that completion of the beautiful song that God started at the beginning and has been singing ever since. And this is why Paul concludes our passage for today, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 13, again, he says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. And I love that we were singing about that in the last song of this set. We will see him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, I was curious to discover that one of the industrial exports of Corinth was mirrors. Corinthians made mirrors because they had the right kind of metal, and so they would polish it up, 
And compared to the mirrors we have, we would laugh because it's not really a perfect reflection of a mirror, but rather a dim one, right? Some translations refer to it as a dim reflection. And this is what Paul's describing is, is now we, we place our faith and hope in Jesus because we see that reflection, but what we long for is the perfect one where we are face to face. And in that moment, the faith that we have now, the hope that we need now will, be, uh, will go away because they are fulfilled, they're completed in the person, in the love of Christ. This is why love is all that will remain at the end. And it's the thing which guides us in the meantime if we choose to place our hope in Christ. God's love is the permanent, ongoing, operative for us who follow Jesus because we know it has been shown to us in him and it's been promised to us to continue to move us towards him eternally starting now. Romans 5, 5 tells us that this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope will not disappoint us because of God's love. So Christians, brothers and sisters, we can take courage. We can choose to live with love because we know that we aren't left to our own devices to figure it all out, to make the best of this idea of love in spite of ourselves, no. Rather, we know and have relationship with the God who offers us his Holy Spirit, who sends us his love, even and especially in our weaknesses. And I can personally attest to this in my life. Going back to that day, reading this passage in my lowest point, as I surrendered the rough edges of my soul to the sandpaper of God's word, the rough edges come off. There's a smoothing out that occurs. And by doing that, the Lord imparts his love to us as we receive it. Not just to have, but to share. So yes, it hurts our pride at first, maybe, And we'll discover, too, that love is not always easy, not to oversimplify what it is, but to be real about it, which Paul very much is. Because the choice to love for Jesus was not an easy one. And the life after Jesus is also not an easy one, but it is the best one. The love of God is a sacrificial love, which means that he gives it to us, though it cost him greatly. And so in that sense, this is how we are to love one another, to even love our enemies, as Jesus says. But again, as we receive God's love and we submit ourselves to the process of living this love of Jesus, then I promise that you are going to be changed from that struggle with sin, the struggle to experience and give love into a, a wonderful display of God's love to everyone around us. So I want to invite you to receive this love of God now from 
whatever reality you may be coming from this morning. I hope today isn't uh, the worst day of your life. It's probably not the best day of your life either, maybe a normal one. But wherever uh, you find yourself, I want you to think of the struggle. Maybe think back to the, the bad day. It could have been yesterday, it could have been a long time ago, I'm not sure. But in that sense, you may have been frustrated. You may have been angry or anxious or burnt out or addicted or let down or alone or any, whatever ugly word you would use to describe that feeling in that time for you. First of all, those feelings are universally felt because we all live in the same world which has sin in it. Yes, it's unique to each of our stories, but universally, we've experienced this. This is reality. We experience pain and suffering in a fallen world. But let me tell you, Jesus is the worthy object of our faith and our hope because he is the way by which we can receive God's saving love. Today and tomorrow and the day after that into eternity. This reminds me of the psalmist from Psalm 40 who says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me. God did not let him down. He says, the Lord turned to me. He heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and he set my feet on a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. The song is Jesus. And we are invited to know and to praise him today for what he has done for us. God sent Jesus to save us from all those things that we cannot save ourselves from, from the pit. We can't climb out. We need a savior. Praise God for his love that he reaches out, he saves us from that pit, and he places us on the rock of his love. So again, open your hearts to the love of God and you will be amazed at how it transforms your life from the inside out to be more like Jesus. You won't even know how it's happening. That's because it comes not from, from you, but from the Lord. God generously shares this love that he asks of us. Again, he's not asking for a resource that we don't or can't have. He supplies it to us to give. And so again, in receiving that love today, we will find that we will be more able to express it. Imperfectly for the time being, yes, but eventually expressed in perfection as we look face to face with the risen Lord. The Spirit of God does this for us, as we've read in the scriptures. He, he frees us today into this love. But God did this by sending Jesus and allowing him to die on the cross. And this shows us exactly what the extent 
of God's love looks like, what it looks like for us 